So this is the second Sunday of Lent. So that means we are in our second week of our journey to the cross. We're tearing down the facades we use to conceal our true selves, to hide our true selves from others. And we're removing the costumes we wear, the roles we play, and our prayer is that we might return during this time, these 40 days, that we might return to the people of God that we were created to be. This also means we are in the second chapter of our journey through Esther. And if you remember from last week, the first chapter was kind of all about facades, about the art of artifice. Chapter 1 introduced us to the king of Persia, Ahasuerus. And it all began with a party, an impossibly big, impossibly long six-month party that displayed Ahasuerus' impossible wealth, his impossible power, to an impossibly expansive empire that went from India to Ethiopia. Because if Ahasuerus was going to rule a kingdom this big, he had to look like a person who could rule a kingdom this big. He had to play the part. But his carefully crafted facade came crumbling down when he called for his queen to dance before his men. Because Vashti said what? No. And if Ahasuerus couldn't rule his own wife, how could he possibly rule an empire? The facade crumbled. Ahasuerus was exposed and he lashed out. He banished Vashti from her throne and from our story. And he didn't stop there. Ahasuerus decreed that all men should be masters of their house. And that decree has lasted for over 2,000 years and continues to this day. Amen. (laughs) This is the same thing that happens at my house when I try. (laughs) Chapter 2 begins with Ahasuerus' advisors encouraging him to up the ante. So the king declares that there will be a contest. All the most beautiful young virgins in the kingdom will be brought to the citadel at Susa, paraded before him. They'll each get one night with the king. And for the record, sometimes we like to say they had a beauty pageant. This is a horror show of a beauty pageant. To say that they were paraded before the king is, to put it mildly, very, very mildly, And so that's when our heroes, the heroes of our story, are finally introduced. Esther and her cousin, Mordecai. So this is Esther chapter 2. It's verses 5 through 11. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives who were carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. Don't get carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. 
So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in the custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and he advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. I don't care if it's the best place, it's still a harem. <laughs> Esther had not had made not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you have brought us here into your place, into your sanctuary for such a time as this, that we might hear from you, that you might speak to us. Lord God, we know that you call us to greater things. And so we put ourselves at your feet, that we might rise to that calling today. It's in your holy, loving, precious, beautiful name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're like me, I'm sorry, (laughs) but if you're like me, this story might also remind you of another story about some Jews in a foreign court who, like Mordecai's ancestors, had been carried off into exile. Does anyone know the name of another book about some Jews in a foreign court carried off into exile? By the way, the name of that book is also the name of its main character. Right, Daniel, the book of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet and was one of the Israelites, like Mordecai's ancestors, who were carried off into exile by the Babylonians. And he found success in Babylon and remained in that court, even after the Persians came in and took over from the Babylonians, and even after the Persians sent the Jews back to Jerusalem, people like Daniel stayed, because they had made a life, just like Jeremiah had told them to. And we remember Daniel because he refused to deny his God, the one true God, our God, right? He refused to break the dietary laws of his Jewish faith. He refused, even in the face of hungry lions. Did Daniel deny his God? No, he stayed strong. And Daniel's God, our God, stayed with him. That's why Daniel is a hero of our faith. I mean, how many of us grew up telling this story? A lot of us told the story or were told the story. Well, Esther's story begins about 70 years later. And I'm going to be honest, she's not coming off very heroic right now. For that matter, neither is Mordecai. Not if Daniel is our standard for heroism in exile. I mean, today's scripture tells us that for 12 months, Esther had been locked up, dressed up, made up, and propped up, just like all the other girls from the kingdom. Jew or not. She becomes indistinguishable from the non-Jews. And remember how heroic was Daniel was for refusing to break the dietary restrictions of the Jewish faith? Esther didn't just eat the unclean food. She ate it right out of the king's right-hand man's right hand. (laughs) 
Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, took special care of Esther, providing Esther her cosmetics so she could play the role and her portion of food himself. And Esther rose right to the top. Haggai advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. As far as playing roles go, she's getting an Oscar, right? Mordecai, I mean, he comes off a little better, right? Because he raises his orphan cousin. He checks on her every day when she was in the harem. But then he goes and commands Esther not to make known her people or her kindred. Esther, don't tell anyone you're Jewish. Don't do anything that would give someone the impression that you're a Jew, that you follow the one true God. Esther, wear the clothes, eat the food, drink the Kool-Aid, Esther. I mean, that hardly sounds like a hero of the faith, right? It's the exact opposite of, of why we praise Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the exact opposite of what us followers of Jesus are told to do, right? We're told to be open about our faith, to shout it from the mountaintops, to sing it from the mountaintops, like our song said, with shouts of joy. I am a C. Anyone know that? I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And I've got C-A-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. Right, some of us, maybe. I went away, there we are. Right. I'm a Christian. Or this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to let it shine. Our faith is full of Daniels. I mean, people like Stephen, who would rather be stoned to death than deny that his Savior is the risen Christ. The Greek word, by the way, the Greek word for to witness to someone in the New Testament is martis, a witness. It just means to witness to your faith, right? But what does martis become in English? Martyr. Because so many of the witnesses to their faith in the early Christian faith were killed for it. Would rather walk all the way to the cross than deny their faith. And yet, our faith is also full of Esthers. People who hide. I mean, right from the start, Adam and Eve, they hide from God. Where are you? Abraham hides the fact that Sarah is his wife. Not once, but twice. Saul, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the Old Testament, because it's totally me. Saul hides in the baggage when they're trying to install him as king. Where is Saul? He's in the baggage. Peter hides his relationship with Jesus. I do not know the man. I mean, I imagine all of us have had those days where we've shouted it from the mountaintops. But I imagine each of us have had one of those days where it was just easier to hold it in, to keep our faith to ourselves, 
to swallow the words and, and, and just keep our heads down. But here's the thing about Esther. We know how her story ends. I mean, that's the one part we do know, right? She's a savior to the Jewish people. And why? Because God continued to work in and through and around Esther, even if she did keep quiet. God still used Esther. And God still gave her an opportunity to own her faith, to proclaim her faith, to be a witness to her faith. God did the same with Adam and Eve, with Abraham, with Saul, with Peter. He was the rock after all. And he died a martyr. It'll be the same with Mordecai. And you better believe it's the same with you and I. Because God continues to work in and through and around you. God continues to use you even when you keep quiet. And God continues to use you even like Kylie when you shout with joy. I think that's joy. <laughs> you know, I've got a, a couple of friends um, from my theater program in college, Dan and, and Megan. Now, Dan is Jewish, devoutly Jewish. Megan was Irish Catholic, and she was burned by the Catholic Church as a young lady. And so she converted to Judaism when she and Dan were married. They live down in Texas now, which if you know anything, it's the middle of the evangelical Bible belt. I mean, actually, it's where they are, it's like the buckle, right? And, and Dave teaches at a capital C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N school down there. And when he started, he was one of three Jews on staff. I loved it. They said every time they would, they would get together for lunch on Thursdays, they called themselves the High Jewish Council. Um, but he and Dan, Dan and, 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 and Megan, they, they weren't getting any younger. And, and their friends had all had kids years ago. But Dan and Megan, they weren't able to conceive. And so they turned to adoption. And they applied for an adoption down there in the Bible buckle. And, and to be honest, like on paper, on the forms, they made an, a, for an attractive couple in their adoption paperwork. And, and they kept getting matches only to fall out of favor whenever the issue of faith came up. It seems that you actually weren't that attractive down in the Bible buckle if you didn't read both the Old and the New Testament, especially the New Testament. And Dan and, and Megan, they're no dummies. Like, they figured it out pretty quickly. After a couple heartbreaks, they knew the score. And after a few more heartbreaks, Megan finally asked the question, Dan, she couldn't take the hurt anymore. They're not getting any younger. Dan, can, can we please not check the Jewish box? Can we just... Leave it blank. Like, I'm not saying we have to lie. I'm not saying we have to pretend to be Christians, but can we just not say we're Jewish? It wasn't a pretty conversation. And there were more than a few tears, but ultimately they didn't check the box. And, but Dan, though, he, he's kind of funny. He didn't want to hide the fact that he was a man of faith. So he said, I teach a Bible study at a Christian college, which is true. He taught Old Testament Bible studies for young Christians <laughs> at the school. 
And he said he was in leadership at his house of worship, which was also true. And that he taught classes for kids there every week, which was also true. Their worshiping community was a big part of their life. And sure enough, this time, everything clicked. And before they knew it, Dan and Megan got the call. They were on the way to the hospital. When they got the call, the baby is due today. It was an open adoption, and they're filled with joy and fear. I mean, like all new parents, what if something goes wrong during the birth? What if the mother changes her mind when she sees her child? What if the family changes their mind? What if they ask Dan and Megan what church they go to? Please don't mess this up for us, Dan Megan pleaded in the car, please today, just this once, if they ask, can we be Baptist? Like, everyone's Baptist down here. It's an easy lie. We've waited this long. Dan, please. And Dan says, he says, I looked at her, and and she didn't grow up Jewish. Megan didn't have that history. She didn't know what a loaded question that was to ask a young Jewish man to lie about his faith. And so he said, no, I won't lie. He said, I could see it in her face, like Megan watching the child slip from her arms. And so they fought, and they stopped talking, and then they walked into the hospital, not with shouts of joy, but in silence. And he said, we went into the waiting room and the girl's grandmother was sitting there and she smiled and, and so they made small talk and she told Dan and Megan like how happy her family was to find such a faithful young couple. And then she asked the question. And, and Megan's heart dropped to the floor. Man, I still remember Dan telling me the story on the phone and my heart dropped to the floor what church do you attend? And, and Megan looked at Dan. I looked at Dan. It wasn't even FaceTime, and somehow I managed to look at Dan through my phone. And Dan said it. He said, well, actually, ma'am, I, I'm Jewish. And he looked at Megan, and he said, we're Jewish. Silence. Like the weight of the entire universe kind of Silence. And then a smile. Like first it was in the grandmother's eyes and, and then on her mouth and she practically sang with joy, how wonderful, that is wonderful. And Dave is like, wait, what? what, what? Are you Jewish? And she said, no, I'm Baptist. We're all Baptists. <laughs> Except my son. He's a rabbi. A rabbi? <laughs> So she explains, uh, my son, he's, he's really into genealogy. And quite a few years ago, he had traced their family back in Texas and discovered that they were, in fact, Jewish. That their family, hundreds of years ago, had fled the Inquisition in Spain. They were, there's a word for this, conversos, crypto-Jews. Crypto, by the way, is Greek for hidden. Jews who had converted 
to Christianity rather than die during the Inquisition, but who secretly continued to practice their Jewish faith. Eventually, with the conquistadors, that whole thing, they moved to the new world thinking we can finally be who we are. And many of them end up in Texas, more end up in New Mexico, where in Texas it's still dangerous to practice Judaism openly. In fact, you couldn't even be a citizen of Texas if you were a Jew until the mid-19th century. And so eventually, after generations in hiding, this is a great documentary, by the way, after generations in hiding, they lost their faith. They lost the memory of their faith. After years of wearing the clothes, eating the food, drinking the Kool-Aid, they became Catholic. Many of them then became Baptists, just like the rest of the buckle. And so, God, for hundreds of years, God was working all along, despite their silence of those hidden Jews. Despite the silence of Dan and Megan, God brought these two families of hidden Jews together so that when Dan did speak up, when Dan did own his faith, when Dan shouted it from the mountaintops, the miracle of God's faithfulness was revealed. Dan and Megan were the perfect family to adopt from this perfect family and to have a beautiful, perfect Jewish daughter. You see, God was faithful even in their silence. Even if they didn't see what God was doing until they finally spoke up. The same will be true for Esther and Mordecai. I mean, we already see God at work here. Just in the second chapter, God brings Esther to the court, the same court that God brought Mordecai to years before. God works it so that Haggai would notice Esther, favor Esther, make up, dress up, prop up Esther so that the king would notice her. And four years after Vashti refused to go before the king, Esther was presented to Ahasuerus, and the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that the, he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. I could have been in this court. They eat a lot. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and he gave with royal generosity. He's not all bad, that Ahasuerus. I mean, he could be generous as long as you do what he says. And then one day, Mordecai, we read at the end of chapter 2, was there at the gate checking on his cousin when he overhears a plot by a couple of the king's eunuchs. They're planning to assassinate the king. And look how God works. Mordecai was there at just the right time. And now he has Esther, and Esther has the king's ear, and so he tells his cousin, she tells the king, and the king's life is spared, and Mordecai's name is literally written down in the books, the chronicles of the king as a hero that has saved Ahasuerus' life. 
God was working all the time, even in Esther's silence. And this is only chapter 2, friends. God's not done working. The salvation of the king was just the start. Because these actions, born of silence, won't bear their full nation-saving power until Esther does claim her faith before the king, shouts it from the mountaintops, takes her light out from under the bushel. Salvation for her people. A salvation that wouldn't have happened if chapter 2 hadn't happened. So don't forget what Esther did. Don't forget what Mordecai did. Don't forget that the king wrote this down. It's going to be important <laughs> later on. But most importantly, don't forget who you are, who you are. Because there will be days when you keep quiet, when you keep your faith to yourself. I mean, we all have them. And frankly, there will be times in your life when keeping quiet allows you to witness to the love and the grace of Christ more powerfully than if you'd shared your faith up front and center. I have family members that I'm working on more by not claiming my Christian faith and just being Christian every day because it flies in the face of everything they think about Christians. Talk to Shauna about chaplaincy and having to know when, what, 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 you got to know when to show them and know when to hold them when you walk into a room. There are days, times when you just go quietly about being Christ in someone's life and you let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. But, there will be days when the Lord does call you to shout it from the mountaintops, to shout it with joy, to sing and make music to the Lord in front of God and everybody, kings and grandmothers included. And you can trust that through it all, God is there working through you. That's the beauty of our faith. That God is always working all things together for the what? The good. Just don't forget. Ne ne never forget. Even on the quietest of quiet days, don't forget that you are, uh, that, that, that we are a, that I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-B-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y Try to get I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-B-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. Amen? Amen. Huh. <laughs> Amen.